Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today, Ben and I will be sharing our experience with Step 5, and later we'll have a discussion about the practice of sponsorship in Alcoholics Anonymous. I hope you enjoy the program. Hey, Ben, how you doing? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation again. It seems like it's been a while since we've talked. Yeah, it has been. I'm looking forward to it, too. And, uh, you know, in preparation for this, what we're going to be talking about today is Step 5. And since I don't go to regular meetings where I hear how it works all the time, um, I'm wondering if I'm beginning to forget the wording. But I believe the wording goes, okay, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Did I get that part right? Sounds good to me. Emphasis on exact. People are always exact (laughs) nature. Exact nature of our wrongs. And, of course, we admit to God. But um, as an atheist... um, I don't admit to God. Um, I don't believe in God. And so that part really isn't necessary. In fact, when I wrote this out, I think I just wrote it. um, We admitted to ourselves and to to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. But I even wonder if if wrongs is even the right word to use. But um, why don't we just start, Ben, with you kind of going through your experience with step five. And we'll just kind of take it from there. Yeah. Um, You know, I did a step five with my first sponsor probably way later than you know, is socially acceptable in AA. And then uh, I look back at that and it was kind of a half-assed effort. Um, but I but I did still get a lot out of it. And then uh, my second sponsor I sat down with and, and did my read my step four to him and we talked about stuff. And um, it was really awkward. He said some really strange things to me that kind of kind of were off-putting. It, it also kind of helped me, but um, yeah, it was strange. But I don't know, my experience with this is that it, it has to do with trust, you know, learning to trust other people with our stuff. And um, also, I think it helps if you, if you go to treatment or something and you're working on stuff and you do group therapy, a lot of what happens in group therapy is being able to see into your own blind spots that, that you can't see yourself. So if, if you can trust somebody else to give you a perspective on you that is hard for you to see, I found it if I can give that over and have some humility and actually take in that that feedback or some people say criticism or whatever, it helps me have a better understanding of myself, which is kind of the whole point of well, part of the whole point of this. I don't know. Does that yeah. jive with your experience at all? Yeah. When I was um, just to go back with my experience, okay, after I did step four, and I was um, actually four years into the program, actually, before I was actually, I actually did step four and step five. So I, I took a while to do it, too. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't do some inventorying and stuff like that earlier. But my actual fourth step was done about after about four years of sobriety. And um, so the after I had finished up, I had, the next day I met with my sponsor and we had to do the fifth step in two um, days. Um, so the first day I was quite a number of hours I sat with him and I just basically went through the fourth step reading actually from the the paper and um, then talking about the whatever the resentment was and maybe not with every single one but the but the ones that that probably needed some discussion. And it seems like my sponsor, if I remember right, would notice if I was apprehensive about discussing something. And then those were the things that he would he would really want me to talk about. And he was good also about sharing his own experience with me so that I didn't feel like I was, you know, total, total loon. Um, So that was really nice. And and I remember um, leaving that 
experience. Um, and the the first day I just did the resentments and I I left, I left there feeling really good. I I left like I, I felt like I had a good understanding of myself. I felt like I was part of the human race. And I know that it says that in our literature, but I really felt connected with, with the rest of humanity. I, I felt, I guess I was in touch with my own humanity. I understood that the, I'm a I, these, these are human things. This, this, I wasn't really a bad person. I wasn't really any different than any other human being. So that was kind of nice. Now the next day, um, we did the, the sex part and the um, fear part. And unfortunately, my sponsor wanted to do it at the city park, and <laughs> so we sat on a bench um, at the park. And um, right on this walking path, as people would walk by us, you know, and I'm supposed to be talking about sex. And my sponsor was also very hard of hearing. So he'd always say, hey, what'd you say? Oh, man. <laughs> so it was it was kind of difficult. So, you know, I would definitely say, you know, if you're going to do your fifth step, don't do it like in a public setting yeah. like that. <laughs> but so I did. But it was OK. Um, and of course, my sponsor didn't think I did the fear part right. And, and, and um, that was wrong of him to say that. I, I, I remember I wrote about that on our last, um, after our last podcast, but yeah, you know, if you're a sponsor, if somebody does their inventory and they tell you what their fears are, don't, don't criticize it. Yeah. I mean, just that, that effort is, was enough. So anyway, I, I was really constant, you know, concerned about not having done that correctly. And so I went back and tried to do it right. And, so I, I listed my fears and I tried to tell him what they were, but he was never satisfied. Yeah. So anyway, that was my experience with step five. But I did come away from it feeling like I I I, I got something good out of it. Mm-hmm. And I will say this: in the big book, it talks about how um, we often it's best to do this with a person that that we trust that we that 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 can understand us that we aren't always truthful with our therapists, psychiatrists, doctors, etc. And I don't know. I've been in therapy. I've been in group therapy. I've been in individual therapy. I've had psychologists, psychiatrists. I've had you know people with um, master's degrees help me out. I've gone through a lot of different therapy. And I have to say that I was more comfortable sharing these things with that sponsor than I ever was with any of those other professionals. Hmm. And I don't know if that was your experience, if other people have that experience, but I was more open with him than I ever was with any of those other uh, professional people. Huh. That w- it was kind of the opposite of my experience, actually. This is, people are probably going to be like, oh, wow, finally John and Ben disagree on something <laughs> on here. But it, it's, and I'm not disagreeing, our experience was just different. Um, right. I think it, it depends. It sounds like you had a really good sponsor, John, that was really attuned and like, you know, helped you through a lot of stuff. I think some of the people I had that have helped me at various times weren't as much that way. And I think, you know, you were talking about him kind of beating, beating into you about the fear thing and maybe you didn't feel like you did it right. I, th- I think in being a sponsor at different times, too, it's like you feel this pressure to or I feel I felt I have felt the pressure to make sure I say something about something someone did wrong or else I'm not, you know, listening well or I've got to tell them something they didn't quite do right uh-huh. or something. I don't know. There's. My experience, though, with like professionals and talking to people who are experienced in in hearing things from people is it was better than with a sponsor. I think it may, mm. maybe that's just me, though. Too maybe I wasn't quite willing to trust this other person either. It's not just their fault. But um, I think that's what it's about. It's about trust. It is. 
And I think um, with me, especially with a psychiatrist, I mean, I know that this guy has the power to lock me up yeah, yep. <laughs> for a period of time, yep. you know? So I, I'm a little bit, I don't know, I guess I'm a little bit reserved um, with that. And maybe I shouldn't be, but with, with a professional person, I just have that, I have that, I guess it's a fear or something. Whereas with um, a friend or someone like that, who's had similar experiences, and, and I, I know has shared those experiences with me, I'm more likely to just be totally open. Yeah. Especially if I know and I trust that person isn't going to repeat what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I hadn't I hadn't necessarily thought of that, I guess. Um, but, but being on the other side of that, when I was a counselor, yes, I could definitely tell people were quite often pretty guarded with what they were going to tell me. Okay. Because, you know, if you make a, you know, any suicidal comments or right. thoughts, like people that are professionals are required to either report or do something or come up with a safety plan or, you know, it's part yep. of the protocol and it's, it's part of keeping your organization safe. But sometimes it almost, gosh, it almost draws so much attention to it from your client and then they get on the defensive and then it kind of interferes with the therapeutic relationship. So that you said that, that makes sense. We, we are in a position as two alcoholics talking to each other that, you know, it, it's, it's different. It is different. Yeah. Yeah. So that sense, and it's also I, I don't have any experience with religion, but I guess it would be different from uh, I guess I shouldn't even talk about, it, so I don't have any experience with it. But I know there are some religions that you have a confession that you go to, and I, I, I guess I will talk about it because I, I, I don't see this as a confession. Mm -hmm. I don't see this as a confession of sins. I don't even see it really as as a as a discussion of my wrongs. Yes, it's it, for me. It was just. Honestly, looking at my past, even looking at my part in these things, and just getting honest with another person. And I don't think in many cases I was necessarily – there was no right or wrong on either part. Mm -hmm. It was just an experience. Um, it was some tragedy I went through in my life that I had to talk about mm -hmm. is what it was. And it wasn't a matter of one person being right or wrong or me doing something bad. Um, in some cases, yeah, maybe I did. You know, There were, there were wrong things that I've done. But that wasn't that wasn't the gist of what I was looking at, as far as I'm concerned. And I was kind of surprised when I was reading through um, the twelve and twelve in particular today that it was kind of stressing wrongs and character defects and and things like that, because um, that really wasn't my experience. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting mishmash. It's like as we talked about in step four, it's kind of you talk about what's causing you resentment, and resentment isn't always anger. It's just refeeling something, like you said. So it's you kind of work that all out, and you see maybe where the source of it has come from, and then what is your part? Is in like what could I do different to not make it such a big resentment? But yet it kind of flips, and then all of a sudden it turns back around on itself in our literature, and it becomes all about your character defects and your wrongs, where it kind of starts out a little bit softer yeah. and a little bit more heartfelt and understanding and then all of a sudden and and that's where i think it sounds like you had a great sponsor with that but that's where sometimes it gets to be this religious type thing where it's like well tell me everything you ever did wrong and really as i read through our literature that's that's not necessarily what i get out of these two steps and to me that's almost more of an eight into nine you know step nine it's not when i really look at step four and into step five it's not just list all the horrible shit you did and how bad of a person you are. And then, because you know, that's how it gets talked about in the rooms lots of times. Like, Oh, I yeah. was scared to do my step four and blah, blah, blah. And it, but it's to me, when I look at it really closely, it is more of what you're talking about working through some things and talking them out and getting somebody else's perspective rather than, Oh, I went and shit on the city park in the middle of the, whatever, right. you know, it's not, it's not necessarily right. that kind of confession. And you know, um, when, when I, on my, 
where I was at that point in my life, um, I wasn't that far removed from my family of origin. You know, um, I guess I, I at that point I was in my late twenties. I guess I don't know, but anyway, um, so most of my experiences and most of, most of what was on my fourth step had to do with my family that I grew up with, and maybe some employers and things like that, and maybe some friends, but mostly it had to do with my family. So what this did for me, it, it was more of an opportunity to repair relationships and to strengthen those relationships going forward. Because um, starting out in in recovery, I I, um, I had a really hard time with my family, I, especially with my father. And I was very uncomfortable, especially that first year at family events and get togethers. And there was just a lot of there was just a lot of stuff that I just needed to work through. And and this the this step, the fourth and fifth, really helped me repair those relationships because um when I when I was looking at, and particularly in the case of my father, when I was looking at my resentments with him, my memories with him, I, I, I guess I was able to when when I when I could see my own humanity, I could see him as a person too. I, I guess I just had some forgiveness. I, I automatically had forgiveness of him because I just realized that you know what, we're all doing our best. Mm-hmm. We all ha- we all come into these relationships with our own experiences from the past. And he had a tough life growing up. You know, he he didn't have it have it so easy. And and there was no manual for him on how to be a father or anything. And he did his best. So I don't know. I I, I just had a better understanding of him and of myself. And so I. I was able to go forth and actually work on repairing these relationships. And I think that's more for me what it was than, you know, um, trying to get seek forgiveness or anything like that or, you know, repair. Um, I mean, I, I never even went to my father. and I guess we'll talk about him minutes later. But I never even went to him and, and said, these are all the horrible, crappy things I did to you. Mm-hmm. It, it, that would have just been damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like he already he already knew anyway or, you know. Right. No, I liked how you said that. That's um, it makes total sense. And gosh, I just this this is where it gets all mishmashed. It's like the way you're talking about it is has been my experience working through it on my own for the most part. But then when I get involved with some of the dogmatists in AA or something, it becomes this whole moral thing. Whereas the way you're talking about it is very therapeutic. It's very um, it's very resolving. And that was my experience, too. It's like in step four and five is about taking ownership and account of our part but but to me that's not always taking the blame you know right and i know that is dicey territory when we first get into the program because i think we do have a tendency to blame everyone and everything else so i think the dogmatists are sometimes right in that if you give an inch in that like you know somebody that's pretty close to active alcoholism will run with that but i think there's a middle ground in there that you can it's like the things that have happened to us in our life have helped make us who we are it is not yeah. those things' fault because not everybody who's gone through those things have responded the way that I have. But none of that ever changes until I take my responsibility and my role for making it different now. It's it's not necessarily my fault I've ended up the way I am, but I also have to take ownership of the fact that there were things I could have done differently. And but nothing ever changes until we get into the fight to actually make some make some changes. You know, there's some yeah. there's some kind of understanding in the middle there where you realize. These are some of the experiences that have led me to become this way, but it's not necessarily those things' fault. But even if it was someone else's fault or my circumstances' fault, nothing's ever going to change if I don't do anything about it. 
And there's peace to be found in that, like you said. And I can understand that other people have had their own, for I'll say it, crosses, yeah. crosses to bear, you know, that they've had to work through. And, and if I'm understanding those things about myself, it becomes a little bit easier to not get so pissed off at other people over stupid stuff. Have you heard a lot of the see when I read the big book? I could see how uh, someone who's a, a dogmatist, who's a literalist with the big book, and who's insisting that we that this is what yeah this is what we 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 go by um, could be a problem for sure because uh, this is all about um, getting close to God. So, is do you think that's what's going on out there? Are 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 are, are we getting so damn literal with this book? Do you think there that there are a lot of sponsors out there that are trying to bring people to God with this book? Absolutely. You know, I'm looking at my notes that I jotted in my book just last night that are different from the notes I jotted down years ago. And it's like I'm writing too much rationalizing or good but worded poorly. I mean, all these are my judgments. But things like uh, they took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egotism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. So it, to me, it kind of always sets you up that you're not doing it quite right. If you know, and there are times where it'll say you wouldn't feel self pity if you had been thorough in your fourth and fifth step. It's like it's always setting us up to be wrong. It, it feels very religious in nature to me when when I read yeah. through this part of the big book, and it's it's all about. But then there are other things where I, I'm reading it and I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of right on. You know, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor to the outer world. He presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. Now, when I break that down and think about it, it makes sense. But the way it's phrased is like, oh, he's this pretend manipulator who's trying to be something he's not. But like you shared your experience, if I'm honest with another person and honest with myself about who I am, I get to know truly who I am and I can mm -hmm. I can be at some peace and I can realize that I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not anymore. Yeah. You know, that's that's where that's where true recovery rolls in and that's of course that's my opinion. It's okay to not believe in God. I don't have to that that was part of what the program is well, without right. knowing has given me that it's okay to be authentic to who you are. Now, of course, it doesn't explicitly say that in our book about nah. let go of God if you want, but that was the big growth of mine was that maybe if I had never learned about all this religious stuff to begin with, I wouldn't be beating myself up for not truly knowing God the right way. Yeah. You know, I was reading the, you know, at the end, it talks about, you know, at, at the end of every step, you, you pretty much get like um, a result, you know, in, in the literature. It says, um, and this is this is just anyway, our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page, which contains the 12 steps, carefully reviewing the first five proposals. So... Anyway, I, you know, I guess I, I did have a pretty good sponsor in that respect because we, um, this is all about coming close to God. Um, that was not my experience with this step. Um, now I did, I did return home 
And actually, I did um, at that time. I was trying to do the believing thing, so I actually did get on my knees and I actually tried to talk to God and do this with God too. Um, I didn't really get a whole lot out of that, but I did go through that process. Um, it was helpful for me to stop though and reflect upon those 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 where where I'd been that that thus far in my program and to ask myself how I thought I had done. And I really felt at that time that, that I had done, um, you know, pretty well, but I guess I'm lucky. My, my, um, at that time, my sponsor, and I consider him probably a pretty religious person. He was not pushing on me that I had to feel this nearness to my creator. Um, but boy, if I could, I could see how if somebody was really, um, a literalist, um, they might unfortunately feel that um, this is a this the, you have to have a religious experience from this um, from this. Right. Well, and you've, you're always big, John, talking about we're just kind of speaking a different language. I can see where if somebody felt like you said you walked away from your fist up, feeling some peace and connection and and relaxation, and some people just equate that to being close to God. You know, it's just a difference in language. I don't believe that's what that is. But yeah. it's okay if they do. You know, sometimes I hear in meetings that God is love, love is God. Well, I'm love is love. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I mean, it's if you want to call that God, whatever, but it doesn't necessarily make it. But it's just a difference in language. And I, I do think there's peace to be found in doing this stuff, or else I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you. There's there's something right. to it. You know, what we call there is it something is to it. You know, there's something to it. And I and 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 the thing about these steps is, um, when people come to AA for help, they—I mean—the steps are such a big deal. I, I think they're more of a big deal than they should should be. But people make them a big deal, and I think what's nice about this podcast is we we just break things down to their most simplest component. And I think we take because we're we're looking at it from really a secular point of view, we're taking kind of the judgment uh, out of it, mm-hmm. and. You're not, and we're taking the magic out of it um, because it's not magical, and it's not—it's it's none of that. Um, these are just some practical things that people can do if they want to do to kind of help them along. You know, we were talking a bit about sponsors doing this. Um, let's let's kind of get into the sponsorship discussion because that's really important here. Um, I'm very concerned about sponsorship in Alcoholics Anonymous. The practice of sponsorship, um, because I know there are some groups out there that where the sponsor is a very heavy-handed, dictatorial um, person, mm-hmm. and that is not what AA intends when you read about what sponsorship is in Alcoholics Anonymous. But as a sponsor, I've heard fifth, fifth steps, and I pretty much did what my sponsor did. I sat and listened, didn't say a whole lot. But when I thought sharing my experience would be beneficial, I did. Um, and I was just positive and supportive of the person. And it was a very um, special experience for me to have that person trust me and share that experience with me. So as a sponsor, I, I didn't really have a very active part in doing much with the person. I just let him do his thing. Um, and that's how I've always approached sponsorship. I think for me, sponsorship should be a relationship of equals. I don't know any more than than the person I'm sponsoring, although I might have been in AA a little bit longer, and I can kind of I can kind of show them the ropes. I can say, yeah, you know, this this if you go to this meeting, this is what you can expect. If you go to that meeting, you can expect this or that. Um, this was my experience and 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 how I've come to understand things. But other than that, I just really leave it to the other person to. To, to to do their own thing 
and I just kind of share what I what I did. Yeah. Um, I don't give instruction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree with you. Um, you know, one thing I'll do is if I meet with somebody and they've asked me to be their sponsor, I'll ask them what they're looking for in a sponsor. You know, I don't yeah. I don't just assume, well, of course, you think I'm great and I will have all the answers to everything. So let me tell you exactly what to do. I, I feel like that keeps people more engaged in in the whole thing. You know, if it's just, oh, give your life over to me and I'll get you fixed. I just don't think that works. And I agree with you reading through, you know, the 12 and 12 and the um, it talks, like you said, a lot about being very careful about who you choose to do your fist step with. Right. And we don't always hear that much in meetings. I don't. I hear more often the other thing, don't drag your feet, just get it done and do this. The book really does say be careful and maybe it says it even take your time with this if you it need does. to. It does. It says if you don't have if you don't know of a person you trust, it's okay to postpone this. Yes. That's I think the most important thing is to make sure it's a person that you can trust. Yeah. And I, I feel like um again it's kind of like it reminds me of my church times where um, people haven't necessarily read the book or they're, you know, it's like, but the, there becomes this, this tidal wave of group think and thought. And then that becomes the truth about what AA is rather than, and again, I'm not certainly not a book literalist, but it's amazing how many gems in the book go unnoticed. And, yeah. and um, as much as people like to use the book that are dogmatists, but, and yeah. I think we, especially with mental health issues. And I think most people that have addiction and alcoholism issues have had some kind of traumatic past. So it's really important to be careful. And I know I've said this on our other podcasts, but it gets blamed in the rooms as like, well, somebody, and even the book says it too, they wouldn't get honest or they left something out of their fourth or fifth step. I think what's really going on quite a bit of that time is that people re-traumatize people by by going through some of their past and then they they get into like this hyper like PTSD type state and then you know they do what they know how to do they drink you know if you if you get in that place and you don't know how to get out of it or somebody hasn't walked you through some of that stuff it's it's pretty unbearable it's a lot of the reason a lot of people drink and our book doesn't really talk about that because they didn't know about trauma so much back then Right. So again, science, you know, can tell us something that we could be better at in AA, but we don't always look towards that stuff. But I, I think it's awful then when the, that person gets blamed for not being honest and then they go run out of the rooms uh-huh. and we don't see them again, maybe, or, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's the stuff that scares me. It's really, really important about the sponsorship thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, also, um, it breaks my heart when I, um, see someone come back from a relapse and they beat themselves up because they think they didn't do this step or that step right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not even a relapse. Maybe the person's just feeling bad. They're depressed. And they blame their depression on they didn't do this step or that step well enough. Right. The book sets us up for that, too. It does. Yes. It does. And um, that that's really dangerous stuff. Um, when I hear that in a meeting, um, I'm always quick and maybe this would be crosstalk, but just to reaffirm for the person that no, you're you're honest with yourself today. You know, give yourself some credit for being honest with yourself. Um, don't you know? Go go easy on yourself a little bit here. You know, um, and I, I guess the problem has been is that people assume maybe they believe that there maybe they believe there's a god involved here and it is magic and it is supernatural and if you do it just right you are supposed to get these results 
Um, and maybe that's the problem. And or maybe they go to so many meetings and they do hear that, you know, I do this exactly right and I get these results. Um, yeah, I, I, I and I think that we need to take some of the mystique out of the steps so that people don't have that um, expectation. Yeah. Um, there is no magic here. There is nothing supernatural here. There is no right or wrong way to do these things. Uh, there's a lot of different avenues that that we can seek for help. You know, these are just things that, that I think people should be aware of. The newcomers should be aware of. There was a part where we were talking earlier too about, um, you know, where it says if you didn't quite do this right, or you maybe left this off. It, it kind of strikes me as like the same argument I hear Christians make when I'll talk to them about, well, what about this person that's a Christian over here that's doing this? And they'll say, well, they're not real Christians. You know, it's right. it's kind of like that's that same language in that part of the book where it's like, well, if you if you really did AA right, you would do it this way. It's like it's always a firm cop out of there's somebody not doing it right and I'm doing it right. Yeah, and that kind of all or nothing thinking gets us into trouble. And I, it goes along with what you're saying about the person sharing things in meetings and feeling self-pity or feeling bad. And, and there are parts of our books that will, book will, that will reaffirm that says you, you won't feel that if you do this right. And that just, right. I just, that's not how our brains work. That's not how growth works. Yes, we have these milestones and moments where we feel peace and growth and it's cool and it's connected. But to me, the thinking that you should do something and get X and everyone that does this will get X is part of the broken thinking that helps lead to addiction and alcoholism. We need to work on that thinking that it's no, it's more slow, little incremental growth. It is not about getting it right and becoming yeah. recovered. It is about getting in the process and slowly getting better. Because it's it's a disease of instant gratification. And if I expect everything to always be great right after I do something, that's part of the problem. It is it is delayed gratification. It is about doing the little work, putting in the little investment that is going to result in long-term growth without you even knowing it. I agree with that. I I uh, I do think that you know we come we come into AA with a lot of problems, a lot of things that we need to look at, and you know the steps might be a nice little you know gate you know path or whatever um or, or some kind of sort of structure but it's our overall experience over a period of time that really does it it is a process it's it's a process that involves um not just aa but outside of the aa you know therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors and whatever um anyway um yeah I was going to say, Ben, when you were talking about how when you first sponsor somebody, and you've said this before, you sit down there and you kind of go over the person, what their expectation of sponsorship is. Do you know that that is actually um, recommended in the AA pamphlet on sponsorship? I did not know that. I was hoping you read that because I didn't get around to reading that pamphlet. I, d I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, in fact, it says that it would be a good idea to for the sponsor and the sponsor, person being sponsored to go over this pamphlet together. Um, the pamphlet has some good stuff in it. Um, it's got some things. I don't, I'm concerned. Here's my concern before we go into the pamphlet. Here's my concern about sponsorship. And I'm just going to be blunt. It's these specific groups. It's the, um, it's these, these Clancy groups where they have this lineage of sponsorship. Oh. So you have your sponsor pretty much tells you what you're going to do. And if you don't do it, the backup is your grand sponsor. Okay. Yes. Because they have this lineage where they trace their sponsorship back to how far they're removed from this Clancy character mm -hmm. is basically how it works. 
Now I don't know if in the if in Kansas they actually trace it to Clancy or whatever, but the but they from what I hear from the people that go to these groups is um you you have your sponsor and you have your grand sponsor and you have so you have this lineage anyway. So what I'm hearing from these groups is that the newcomer is expected to follow instructions. So like one of the instructions from this person that I that I was talking to who went to one of these groups is they had to read the first 164 pages within I don't know if it was a week or whatever it was. It was within, within some sort of period of time. Maybe it was a month. I don't know what it was. But they had to do that. It was a must. It was an instruction. Another instruction they were given is they had to um, call every single person on their meeting list yep. for whatever reason. Where's that in our hallowed big book? I know. Uh, these are things that they, they are instructed to do. And if they don't do them, the, this is what I've been... They, the guy, their sponsor comes down on them hard, gets in their face. Not only that, the person's sponsor's the the person's grand sponsor, I guess is what you call them. In this particular case, I was told, went to the person and said, I understand that you didn't do blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's cult. Yes. Very, very, very. That's cult behavior. And that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous and people need to know about it. Absolutely. I agree. I have a friend. It's dangerous. It is super dangerous. And it, it violates, you know, again, I'm not a book thumper, but if these, these people tend to be book thumpers too, but Let's just be honest, too. There's not a word mentioned about sponsor in the 164. It's it's not mentioned. So, And I also, I'll say this while I'm ranting. I I dislike the word sponsor because it sounds like somebody has to vouch for you to get into our AA club. That's that's kind of what that means. Now, I know it hasn't necessarily meant that lately, but I've got a friend. She's younger, and she's got a sponsor who it's – it's like people feel the pressure to be the way you're talking about by this group think. And then right. that woman's sponsor will come down on her. So her grand sponsor will come down on her and, and talk to her about her issues that she talked to with her sponsor. Well, that that's like violating confidence. And that's, it's like, I don't know. It's, it, it is so cultish. It's like, I hear we got a sponsee out of line down here. It sounds like you're pretty familiar with those groups. So have you talked to a lot of people that have experienced those things? I mean, I've talked to just a couple of people here and there, um, and maybe I should learn more about these guys. But are you pretty familiar with them? Well, I was super naive about it. Like I said, the first five years, I went to one meeting. It met every day, so I went to it quite a lot. But I I stayed away from the the more fundamental groups. But the more I've gone to those meetings, the more I hear about it from other people. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was another woman I talked to, and it was like – she said that she wasn't doing what she was supposed to, so her sponsor was told by her grand sponsor to take her to some conference that was going on in western Kansas or something, some spring fling get-together. And mm-hmm. she said that basically uh, basically she just got lectured at the whole five-hour drive out to western Kansas about what it really means to be an AA and are you willing to do this and are you willing to do that. And it's – you were right. I agree with you. That is very cultish. I have a guy that very much. I have a guy that yeah. I uh, sponsored for a short bit. I don't really ever talk to him, so I don't know. I know he's still sober. He told me last time, but um, his sponsor had it's one of the more fundamental meetings around Omaha, and he had told him bring plates and forks for so and so's birthday on Tuesday, and he said, yes. he said, okay, I will." 
and then his sponsor called him the night Monday night before it, and it was like later in the evening, and he said, just wanted to remind you to bring forks and plates for so-and-so's birthday. Didn't say call me back and let me know if you're going to or not, nothing like that. Just said just call to remind you. Well, he showed up on at Tuesday night's meeting with forks and knives and plates, and his sponsor like condescendingly said to him, oh, you never called me back and told me you were bringing them, so I went ahead and bought them anyway. See, that that to me is emotionally abusive and manipulative. It is. And I'm sure if you could delve into these types of sponsor-sponsee relationships, you would see that there's something psychological going on that would lead someone to pick someone like that. It's like a recreating of a trauma or recreating of a an abusive parental cycle. I see – I. Yeah. Now, it's tough for me because I know as someone in AA, I'm not supposed to judge all that stuff or it's not healthy for me to. But as a counselor and somebody trained in group dynamics, it is hard not to see that stuff go on. And it is so obvious. It's like setting up these abusive cycle relationships back and forth, like sit down, shut up, get in the corner, listen to me. I'm a great, smart old white man, you know, it's, right. it's sick. It is sick. It is. Now every group has a right to be autonomous. I'm not going to um, argue with that. I, I do agree with that. And I respect that, but people need to know <laughs> when they go to AA that this group autonomy can mean that you can, you can get to a group that is a very cultish. Uh, the particular group I'm talking about, they actually require on their big meeting on Friday that um, you wear a tie, um, if you're a man and a, mm-hmm. you wear a dress, if you're a woman, Fox Hall. Um, yeah. And so, um, wow. You know, they have a right to do right. that. But, um, I think that, I think that, um, you know, I have a right also to say that I think that's pretty damn cultish yeah. and I think it's dangerous. And here's my concern about it is it can, it's a, it's, I think the benefit that these people are getting out of it is that it get, it's puts them in this re, this this um, position of being able to control another human being. It gives them that power. Yes. This concerns me so much that it, it, I I I wonder, Ben, if if we should even have this concept of sponsorship because of the potential for abuse. I mean, it's got a good side. It's got a side where it could be really a positive mm-hmm. thing, but it's got a real serious potential for abuse. And I see it happen not even in these hardcore, rigid, crazy groups. But just in normal groups, people will sometimes talk about their sponsors and, 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 and sometimes they do it with a sense of humor about a drill sergeant type sponsor who gives them a hard time about stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how I think sponsorship is supposed to yeah. be. Yeah. And so I'm so concerned about that. Yeah, I agree with you. It is. um, And again, I agree with you that it's everybody's right to choose that if they think that's what, what they want, but it's, yeah, it's. I tell my sponsees that, uh, you know, maybe maybe I should let them say whatever they want. I don't tell them what to do, obviously. But I'll say, don't ever feel obligated to, like, praise me in the meetings. I, it's just, to me, it's, uh, it's I don't I don't personally like that when I hear that. People go off about how great their sponsor is. And I know it's them showing gratitude and appreciation, but sometimes it feels like an obligation. And I feel good when I have a sponsee who doesn't ever say anything about me. Now, my, my yes. ego would like to hear how much I've helped that person, but I think... If if they don't feel like they need to say that, I've probably done a better job helping them. They yeah. have they've their their recovery is their own. They are working it. They are they're seeing how it's changing in their life. So the less I hear about that, I think the better job I've done. And I think that goes for counseling too. The less somebody thinks their their counselor is so great is means the the change within them is getting facilitated and they feel a part of it. 
so I agree with you. I do think it's dangerous, but there's this group pressure to conform to that. And like, then me as somebody who doesn't really go with that every once in a while, I feel like, is there something wrong with me? Or maybe I should be that way or this or that. And that's when I start to think like, AA feels like a cult. It's like, oh, maybe I'm not the one doing it right or something. It's like, oh, there's a lot of peer pressure about getting a sponsor. Um, and and unfortunately, even this this pamphlet kind of um, goes into this pamphlet is almost um, a part of the problem. There's a lot of peer pressure for people to get sponsors right away. I mean, get a sponsor, get a sponsor. Do you have a sponsor? Mm-hmm. So some groups even assign sponsors. Some people come up and say, "I will be your sponsor." Yep. I don't think it's necessary. I think that I I think and my advice would be completely opposite. My advice to the newcomer is. Don't get a sponsor right away. <laughs> Don't. Just go to meetings. Get to know people. Get to learn about AA a little bit. You know, um, talk to different people. Yeah. You know, um, and even the, this pamphlet does say that it says rely on Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole, not a single person. Yeah. So you don't have to jump into sponsorship right away. You know, yeah, get some phone numbers and call a couple yeah. of people, but don't get into a sponsor relationship. I don't think I, I would wait. And 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 you know, and you might decide a person might decide that they don't even need a sponsor, a person, a particular sponsor. I think that's okay. Right. Um, I'm gonna go through this pamphlet a little bit with you, um, because there is some kind of good stuff in there, and there's some things in there that might be a little bit problematic, but um, it does say that um. In AA, sponsor and sponsored meet as equals, just as Bill and Dr. Bob. Essentially, the process of sponsorship is this. An alcoholic who has made some progress in the recovery program shares that experience on a continuous individual basis with another alcoholic who is attempting to attain or maintain sobriety through AA. So it's pretty clear. It's a relationship of equals. Mm -hmm. Um, It goes into these different questions and answers. Um, And there's one here... um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. Must the newcomer agree with everything the sponsor says? The answer is no. If the sponsor's ideas sound strange or unclear, the newcomer had better speak up and ask questions. Theirs is supposed to be an easy, open relationship in which both parties talk freely and honestly with each other. The A program is simple, but it didn't seem that way to many of us at first. Often we learned by asking questions at closed meetings or most especially in conversations with our sponsors. Mm-hmm. So... um you know, if you're in one of these groups, if you if you don't feel, <laughs> I think that it's a pretty, it's pretty good advice. I mean, if you don't feel like you have an easy and free and equal relationship with your sponsor, then maybe that's not a good sponsorship relationship. I think it, it's got to be that. If you, I don't think you, I don't think if you have a sponsor that's telling you what to do, you got the wrong sponsor in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, you're right. It is so scary. It is very, very is. scary at times. And some it, that's where it gets abusive, I think, because it's like these people are fulfilling their need to talk down to someone or control someone through this whole process of AA. And it's just – it's just – People come into AA broken. Mm-hmm. I mean they come in. It's like the worst time of your life. You know, your family has pretty much had done with you. You have no friends. You might be looking at going to jail. You're just having the you're you're at the bottom of your life. You're you're complete. You feel completely hopeless and helpless. You're at a vulnerable time. Vulnerable, too. yes. And that's the problem here is that the 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 system of sponsorship makes it possible for unhealthy people to take advantage of people in that vulnerable position. Yes, I agree with that a lot. Scares the, scares the hell out of me, really, to be honest with and you. I, and I also want to say it's not necessarily intentional, no. right? 
You're but right. it, but it's but it happens and it it needs to be pointed out and talked about more I think. And sometimes it's not really harmful. I mean, I've seen cases where um some guy uh, he's th- he thinks he's being really helpful, right? And for him he sees AA as a program where, you know, you have to really follow these specific instructions and so forth. So he wants to sponsor people and he wants to give them these instructions and so forth. And he's actually kind of a nice happy guy. Um and maybe the person is getting something out of it. There's no real harm being done, but um <laughs> and so that's okay, I guess. I mean, there's no real harm being done, but I've also seen some harm being done and and I guess that's that's my concern here. But the, the the problem, too, is when you're new and you're broken like that, you almost want to have some sort of a authoritative um, answer. Mm-hmm. You want someone to say, do this and you'll be fine. It, I kind of wanted yeah. that. And that can be good. Tell me you have the answers. I've been looking for them. I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that's where I first went towards religion, too. I wanted to have something tell me that there was a set answer to something. Yeah. But like I said earlier, to me – my growth has been realizing that that the answers are vague and the gray areas are where we need to be and be okay with, learn to be okay with. I needed to learn that there wasn't necessarily a specific answer and that that's okay. I need to learn how to be okay with that. And sometimes it's the seeking that's the more important thing than the getting. Yes. And you're much better off, I think, with a guy who says, and and this is, I, I, if someone comes to me and they want me to be their sponsor, I almost act like, ah, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, they'll tell me, what do you want me to do? I, you know, I, I can't tell you what to do. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, um, kind of, I guess, lax about that. And, and, and that might disappoint some people because they want, they might want me to say, all right, what you need to do is just read the doctor's opinion for every day for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And it gives them something to do. Whereas I say, yeah, you know, just go to keep, keep going to meetings. Mm-hmm. And it it just seems so vague, like, well, how can that possibly help? That's not anything, some specific action that I need to do, you know? So they want to go to someone that might say, yes, read the big book every single day. Yeah. <laughs> Call me every single day, you know? And as if that is the the action that's going to produce the results, when really what's doing it is that person going to meetings and connecting with other people. Right. Or just showing the willingness to do, like, you know, being willing to read the book every day is the action. It's not the actual reading of Absolutely. it. Right? Absolutely. And even this, um, if you don't read the damn book every day, I mean, you can take any experience and make and make it and turn it into a positive thing. A learning, you can learn from any experience, and you should learn from experience. So, like, like, like when we were talking about step four, when I was putting that thing off. Well, that was part of the experience. You know, that I, I was doing something during that time. Right. I might have beat myself up a little bit. I might have people c- accusing me of procrastination, and maybe I was procrastinating a little bit. But I was also doing a lot of reflecting right. on things. Right. I mean, there's a lot going on that you don't really realize at the time that you're going through it. But when you look back on it, you do. Yes. So I want to say yeah. there are literature, too. I wanted to note that it's it touches on how this God thing can be a bit of a smokescreen. It says that in our literature, it talks about how, you know, people are talking the talk, but not really walking the walk. I found that interesting to read that in the book. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's that'd be my and position. It does caution people, too, to don't mis- and I don't know where it is, but don't mistake um, emotionalism for spirituality or something. So in other words, and, and this, I was thinking about this, too, um, as I as I was reading the big book um, and the 12 and 12, and both of them on this step were pretty God centered. And um, I don't know, I'm not a believer, so maybe this is not a good thing for me to say to someone who does believe. But I I, I would tend to think that if you believe in God, um, 
maybe you should be very careful if you think that God is talking to you or instructing you, because maybe that's not what's really happening. Right. God isn't very clear, it yeah. seems. You know, he doesn't, you know, so I would rely more on the on on um, I don't know fact and people. But that's just me. I, I I'm sorry. As an atheist, I guess I'm going to have that perspective. Well, I can't find the spot in the book, but I think it's a twelve by twelve, and it does talk about that. But this is where it's also trying to peer pressure us to make sure and talk to another person because we need to have our yeah. and and I agree with that. Like my great thoughts aren't always great thoughts when I talk them out with someone else. And as much as we yeah. talk about important to have a sponsor and have someone to talk to that way, I feel like on some level doing this with a sponsor and step five is like practice for being more this way in our everyday life. Like now I don't always go to a sponsor with things that I have to talk about. It's like I've learned, I've developed a group of friends around me. We go out to coffee and I can say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Am I off base here with, you know, or does yeah. this sound messed up? And that that's another benefit of this step. I've learned to be open with other people. I've learned that it is okay yes. to ask for somebody else's perspective. It is okay to admit that I'm confused about what next step to take in a certain situation. Whereas yes. before I'd just stay and be all stirred up and be like, how the hell am I ever going to figure this out? But you doing that when you're like when you go out to for coffee with other people after the meeting and you just talk about you know what's you know you, you maybe ask for advice or help or whatever you know um, those people might not be your sponsor but that's really the thing to do to get a, a variety of opinions a variety of experience. Yes. Um, I think um, I'm going to read another thing here about sponsorship from this pamphlet. Um, can a sponsor be too firm? Some sponsors believe in being fairly blunt with a newcomer. They describe the AA program as they understand it. They explain what AA has meant to them. They point out that there is no known cure for alcoholism, but that it can be arrested. Having done these things, they leave the next move up to the newcomer. If the still-drinking alcoholic does not reach a decision immediately to join AA, this sponsor believes in letting the situation alone. I would agree yeah. with that. This approach is not totally unsympathetic. Many alcoholics respect it and recognize it as an attempt to be completely factual about AA to, to avoid emotion. The AA program is based on certain tested principles, which a newcomer may disregard only at risk. Firm sponsorship emphasizes this and usually works well in convincing the newcomer. Most AAs, however, recognize that firmness overdone can upset a newcomer. It should be tempered with sympathy and understanding. I have a little bit of a problem with this little thing because it's almost, it's almost Almost like saying firm sponsorship is okay um, to a certain extent. Um, you, it can be overdone, but you, but it's okay. Um, that concerns me because I, I think that that the person who's really vulnerable, um, yeah, yeah, firm sponsor. Oh, my my sponsor is firm. Well, you, maybe maybe your sponsor is controlling. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I I this whole thing just really. I I have more concerns about sponsorship than I have good feelings about it, to be honest with yeah. you. Well, and if you go by the big book, you don't even need a sponsor. You just need to You're talk really to somebody about your fifth step, and that can be a spiritual advisor. That can, I think it even says somebody on a plane that you don't even know or something. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 does, it doesn't have to be your sponsor. Um, it, it says it can be someone in your family. In fact, it doesn't have to be anybody in AA. Right. In fact, it says in, it talks in the big book that you know the, the, it almost assumes a person isn't in AA, and you explain to them what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, as you sit down, and the real benefit of the thing doesn't come from the person you're talking to anyway. It comes from you talking right. to another person. What it even said too, I think, don't let them, don't let anything they say or or knock you off your path of what you're trying to accomplish. Whoever's listening yep. to your fifth step, and and I agree with you too. It's this. 
you started out early about talking about the exact wrongs and it all comes down to this moral thing. It's it's not always about that. It's not always how were you broken? And you talked about vulnerability. And sometimes when we come in and we're vulnerable and we're hating ourselves and we're carrying a bunch of shame and guilt, sometimes you don't need to have it beat into your head that you are a broken human being. You need to be reconciled to God. You need to let the sunshine of the spirit in. Now, do I need to learn how to be more positive? Do I need to, as our book says, what I like, have more realism and honesty about ourselves? Yes. But sometimes I feel like meetings are perpetuating shame and blame and guilt when they just mm-hmm. beat it into your head. It's, it is. It's like a hardcore religion. You're broken. Yeah. You need this. You need us. You need God. End of story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a healthy way to, re- to resolve shame and guilt and work on issues. But like we're going through in this podcast, the steps can be used in a very therapeutic way. I want to, uh, I wanted to bring up to this book that I've read before, it's called uh, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery mm-hmm. um, by Dr. Alan Berger. And if anybody was out in Santa Monica, he put on a workshop about um, oh. emotional sobriety and uh, Bill's letter on emotional sobriety and how he talked about how the steps didn't necessarily help with his depression. But he's got a little section in his book that he goes through where he talks about what the therapeutic value of each step is. And when he talks about step five, and you know, I'm I'm not plagiarizing him, but it, it all, I'm giving him credit, but it, it, compl- it sure. completely goes with what I say. He says, therapeutic value of this step. In this step, we learn the value of self-disclosure, authenticity, and healthy relationships. This step also continues to dismantle the false self and false pride and helps develop more humility and authenticity. I mean, I agree with that 100%. I'll, I'll Also, I'll recommend any of Dr. Berger's books. It's 12 Stupid Things That Mess wow. Up Recovery, and the subtitle is Avoiding Relapse Through Self-Awareness and Right Action. A good starting book for somebody new in recovery, too, is I think it's 12, 12, things, 12 Smart Things to Do When You're Getting Off the Booze and Drugs. And then his most recent wow. is The 12 Hidden Rewards of Making Amends. Um, but they're all very good, even-handed, talking about AA stuff. Um, but I don't know how i got off on that on that shoot off i'm glad you but i'm glad you did because i'd like for you to send those um s- send those to me in an email so i can link those up on the podcast yeah. um, and i'd like to check those books out too yeah. and also it kind of helps um put us on a more positive note about this stuff too i i was getting too carried away i'm gonna i'm gonna, gonna i'm gonna summarize with my 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 thing on sponsorship i think i've concluded pretty much how i feel today is that i think the newcomers shouldn't even worry about sponsors um and i think that the whole the whole thing should just be put into question um, use Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole for your support. Yeah. Um, make friends in AA. Yeah. Um, rely on friends. Um, I wouldn't worry about the sponsorship. Yeah. And I, I would say <laughs> don't be in a hurry. I would say don't be in a hurry. Have people connect Absolutely. with that you talk to about your stuff. I mean, I know some people would say it's important to have one person you go to so that you're not playing people off of each other and trying to get the answer you want from somewhere. I mean, maybe try and have awareness if you're doing that. So maybe that's where one person can come in. But if you're committed to giving this thing a shot and you're going to meetings, I would say it's less of a worry. You know, if you're staying involved in the process and doing what you need to do and you've got people that you open up to and you're connecting with and self-disclosure stuff and it's good. And, um, you know, the benefit of this, too, is that it it does level our ego. I don't like how they say that, but it's because I don't think we need ego deflation. I think we need a a good awareness of ourselves. And and then I think we need to realize when we're acting out of ego, 
Because we all have yeah. ego. It's not about eliminating the ego. It's about being aware yeah. of the ego and when we're acting out of it. And I think that helps a lot. Well, I guess I guess we've gone an hour. I guess um, I hope I haven't been too negative, but I, I guess I would say um, I'm all for the step. <laughs> I I think that it was beneficial to me. Um, I did have a good sponsor. I'm fortunate with that. Um, so I, I would encourage people. I mean, if you're going to go through the steps, you know, um, it's 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 a good experience. Um, I would, I would, um, I would caution that, that, um, they aren't magic and you're not going to get drunk if you don't do them and you're not going to become a genius if you do them. <laughs> so, yeah. um, anyway, well, I don't think we'd do this if we didn't see a value in them, but I think it, it can be tempered. Yeah. Like you said, John, I definitely think it yeah. can be tempered and it's, it's, I'm also reading from that book I quoted earlier, but it talked about. Um, alcoholics tend to have a defiant self-reliance. So, you know, it is, it's about learning to just not rely on ourselves. And if that's with other people, you know, a certain sponsor, it's, it's yep. just good because relying on ourselves got us to where we are when we come, when we first come into the room. And I do think talking with others openly and honestly about some things we're not so proud about can help us and it can help the other person too. And I think in a nutshell, that's what AA is about. When I came in and you talk about, um, Hey, I, it's, I keep telling myself I want to quit or I'm going to quit and I don't seem to be able to, I keep returning. And then it makes the other person sitting there feel like, yeah, I have that same struggle. And all of a sudden it's people, and this is universal. I think people being honest about something that carries some shame or blame. And then when we're honest about it, then we don't feel like we're the only one. And I'll, I'll share one mm. last thing. Some, you guys know, I'm a new parent. And sometimes yeah. when our baby is crying and, and going off and it's like the thought flashes in my head, like, oh my God, we made the biggest mistake of our lives. We shouldn't have done this. This is crazy. You know, and it's because you, you can't stand to hear your baby cry. It hurts. It's painful. Yeah. You don't know what to do. Well, I was talking to another friend of mine who is not an AA and I was relaying that to him and he's like, oh yeah, man, uh, sometimes when we go on trips and the kids are crying, I just think like, holy cow, I'm going to drive this car off the road. And I mean, he, was, he wasn't dead serious, but like yeah. here I was feeling bad about having these thoughts like, wow, why the hell did we have a kid? This is crazy. And I mean, it's just a flash of a feeling. Right. But then sharing that with him and him saying, yeah, man, I think that too in those moments. Then I'm like, well, God, I'm not an awful parent. I'm not a whatever. Yeah. So to me, that's kind of AA in a nutshell. It's like, Let's put down the pretenses. Let's be honest. There's lots of us out here who have a tough time handling our alcohol. Let's let's yeah. get together. Let's all share, and and that makes it better. You don't have to feel like yeah. the freak who can't drink like a gentleman. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Ben. That was uh, that was excellent. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. We'll be back and talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care and be well.